Hello friends, welcome to Wednesday Wake Up, a podcast hosted by Gregory Maloof, Buddhist Dharma teacher in the lineage of Ruth Dennison, mental health therapist, and mindfulness coach. Wednesday Wake Up explores the ancient teachings of Buddhism through the lens of Western psychology, neuroscience, and the modern human potential movement. Our commitment is for these teachings to educate, challenge, and inspire you to awaken to your deepest potential to live a truly fulfilling life of wisdom, joy, and compassion. Thank you for joining us. May these teachings serve you well. Good evening, everybody. Welcome back. I'm going to give a special shout out to all of you that are joining us live this evening. Welcome back to Wednesday Wake Up. And I'll give a special shout out to those who will be listening later on on the podcast and our friends who will be watching on our YouTube channel. So hello, good evening. Um, I want to do a few announcements before we get started. So first, just want to thank everyone who was able to come to the retreat. Um, Thank you for sharing the day with me. Awesome experience. That was our third retreat this year. And this year was the first year that I've done those day-longs that way. And it's been an incredible success. I had so much fun and learned, oh my gosh, so much from the experience. So really appreciate you guys participating, those who could. And just to remind folks that uh, Molly and I are beginning to reproduce the experience as a self-paced course so everyone who was on the retreat will have access through new software handouts all the recordings some introductions to the material um, some advice and suggestions on how to revisit the material so all that will be coming in a week or so and then people who were not at the retreat who want to go through the material are more than welcome to have access so uh, that will be done and so i'm pretty excited about that experiment And then, let's see, what else I wanted to talk about? Ah, yes. So, one of the things I had mentioned a while back was that I was kind of putting my head, uh, well, say putting my heads together, putting my hands to my head, trying to figure out how we can create some classes and some curriculum in this upcoming year. And I think I am settled on doing either a class or a set of retreats. I'm not sure exactly how we'll do it, but I think we should start at the beginning of the year with the Satipatthana Sutta in a way that we haven't done before. I wanna take everyone through the entire Satipatthana Sutta as the meditation. So all of the Satipatthanas, and I think probably a class would be the best way to do it. So again, we'll do the class, I think, and then for those who can't attend, we'll reproduce it as a self-paced course. But I think that's where we're going to start. And then what I'd like to do is do some sort of Satipatthana work and then some kind of advanced studies in Satipatthana and then jhana. So I'd like to get this year us into jhana practice and to be able to understand Vipassana in light of the jhana. So I am that's where I'm headed now and hopefully you'll come along for the ride. So we're going to be looking at some curriculum early in the beginning of the year and do some intensive meditation stuff. And then at some point, I've got some plans to do a sutta study course or retreat where we'll be studying the suttas. And uh, I'll probably have some guest teachers for that. And then as I promised before, one of my commitments um, after just experiencing a lot of uh, connection with some of the Theravada bhikkhunis, one of my commitments this upcoming year is to get some guests on to Wednesday Wake Up, particularly to support Uh, Theravada women in the Dharma because their voices have been muted for a really long time. 
and I was able to take a course from Santasuka, who is a Theravada Buddhist nun, and I was just so excited to be able to be with her in retreat. And it really just sparked this interest in supporting uh, the Theravada bhikkhunis because they've struggled to not only have a voice, but to keep their sanghas up and running. And I think since we have the platform and we have people who are really interested in Theravada Buddhism, these folks are the bearers of this wisdom. And I think it's really important that we show our support and love of what they do, which is to take robes and to keep the traditions alive. So I am, as I said, now that the retreat is over, I'm going to be directly uh, reaching out to several of the bhikkhunis that I know and am aware of to see if this upcoming year we can offer some support to them and have them guests for you to learn the Dharma. So fingers crossed, we'll see what we can do. And I think that's all for announcements. So I caught myself when I was preparing the talk for tonight, I caught myself saying, oh, this is such an important topic. <laughs> and then I remembered that I always say that every week. I'm like, oh, this is important, that's important, this over here is important, then this other thing is really super important. One of the great things, one of the things I love about teaching is that I get to take something that I know at least something about and backtrack and remind myself how I came to understand it and what it means to me, like in my life, you know, in direct practice and then find a way to bring some of that experience into the room when we talk about stuff. And every time I, there isn't, I don't think there's a single week that goes by where I don't look at the topic and think, oh, I totally forgot about that. It's so important. <laughs> I guess that's what keeps us going. So we're, we're gonna be talking about something super important tonight, which is Vedana, feelings, which all of you experienced at least once in your life, maybe even a few times in the meditation feelings. And one of the things about feelings that's important in the Dharma is that the word feelings, Vedana, does not mean emotions. So what we're talking about here is one of the four Satipatthanas, the four foundations of mindfulness, the four domains that we can bring awareness to. And so for our Satipatthanas, for our four foundations of mindfulness, we have the body, which all of you are familiar with, we have feelings, Vedana, also known as sensations. And then we have mind. Mind is gonna be emotions or anything that can exist in the mind, like concepts. And then we have this other weird foundation of mindfulness called dhammas, which is using the spiritual concepts like the hindrances or the enlightenment factors as part of our practice directly. So we have our four Satipatthanas, which most of you are used to, but I wanted to highlight some things about feelings that we forget sometimes, and I just think it's super important to connect the dots here with feelings. So when we look at feelings versus mind, feelings are simpler. Feelings are just the tone of experience. So it's the feeling tone where mind is emotions like anger and lust and greed, these kind of things. So when we talk about feelings, we're talking about very simple elemental experiences that are happening every moment in consciousness. So that's every moment that we're experiencing something, there is a tone to the experience. And so I'll explain why this is so important as we move along. Now in Western psychology, I feel like the, the closest thing we have to this Buddhist idea of Vedana is what in Western psychology we would call affective tone or feeling tone. And that would be the psychological like definition of it. And 
that refers to the mood or feeling that is essentially associated or arises in conjunction with stimulus, with stimulus at the sense doors. So it's basically what we're talking about in Dharma. That's, that's the bridge to Western psychology. It's the feeling tone that arises after sense contact, after the energy hits the senses, there is a feeling tone that arises. And I wanted to read to you the actual quote from the Satipatthana Sutta, which is just a couple lines here. Here's what the Buddha says. <laughs> it's so straightforward in, in the Dharma, of course. The Buddha says, when feeling a pleasant feeling, one knows I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling a painful feeling, one knows I feel a painful feeling. When feeling a neutral feeling, one knows I feel a neutral feeling. Seems straightforward, but it's absolutely one of the more difficult of the Satipatthanas, and I'll show you why in a second. So the feelings that we're dealing with are a spectrum. They're a gradation that goes from unpleasant to pleasant, and neutrality, of course, being in the center. And it's important to know that even though the Buddha only lists pleasure, pain, or pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral, even though those are the terms being used, the intention is to be aware of the whole spectrum, understanding that moment to moment, as we experience sense contact, there is always some form of liking or disliking at play. Every moment that consciousness is arising, there is some location on that spectrum that something can be felt, and that something can be felt directly in awareness. So part of the reason I think this is so important is that for each of us, what we call pleasant or we call unpleasant from our moment to moment experience is going to be in part from our personal associations with sense door contact. So I might see, I don't know, a squirrel in my yard and there might be a sense of unpleasant. Or you might see that same squirrel and think, pleasant, how cute depending on the experience, right? So what we're, what we're doing here, and part of the importance, is that we're getting a very intimate portrait. We're gaining a very intimate contact with the foundational experience of what our heart leans towards and what our heart pushes away at a very elemental level of consciousness. So what is pleasant for you might be unpleasant for me, or moment to moment, something can be pleasant and then suddenly unpleasant. So it can go from liking to disliking quite quickly, as we'll talk about. So that's the first importance, is that you're getting a portrait of your inner world at a very subtle level. And in doing that, we're going to talk about how it leads to the end of suffering. Most of you are aware of the concept of dependent origination. And if you're not, I'll just give you a little definition of what it is. The Buddha talks about how suffering is a causal chain. So there is a series of things that happen that give rise to suffering. Suffering is conditional. It's caused by a chain reaction at the depths of human consciousness. And this chain reaction, when brought into awareness, can be influenced. So we can find out what's causing suffering in this chain reaction, and we can break the chain. We can break the links that are causing the suffering. So we call that dependent co-arising. And I'm just going to talk briefly about some of these links when it comes to feelings, because this is a huge part of the Dharma. 
It's too complex to go into all 12 steps, but we're gonna go into just three steps so you can see how feelings works inside this chain of suffering that the Buddha talks about. So in the beginning of this chain, we have sense contact. So that is basic sensory experience. So it's what we would normally call our sense doors, right? So we have touching, we have the touch sense, we have hearing, we have seeing, we have smelling, and we have taste. And then in the Dharma, we actually have a sixth sense, which is the mind itself. So when a thought arises, we can sense the thought. So that's also considered a sense door. So the standard sense doors in Dharma are six. We have our standard ones that we get from Western psychology, and then we add the mind as a sense door as well. So we have our six sense doors upon which the energy of the world greets us. And in those moments, in this chain, vibrations hit the ears, light hits the eyes, chemicals in the course of food or whatever else we're putting in our mouth is chemical reactions, right? And so all around the energy of the world is coming in and touching us directly and causing what the Buddha calls contact, which initiates a chain reaction. Now we can, in our meditation, notice contact as it arises. But what the Buddha says is more important is the next step. Once contact arises, the first thing that happens in the deepest part of the mind is feeling. A feeling tone immediately arises into consciousness. So we touch something, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. We hear a sound. Maybe it's pleasant. Maybe it's neutral. Maybe it's unpleasant. No matter what is happening moment to moment at the sense doors, there is a hue, a feeling tone that immediately arises on the backs of it, according to how you associate with the sense contact. Now, part of the reason, again, that this is so important is that you might consider feelings to be liking and disliking. So every moment, the heart is having this experience, like this, don't like that, like this, don't like that, don't care about this, oh, now I do care about it, and it's unpleasant, disliking. So the mind goes back to back where it's like, ooh, I like that. Oh, it's changed slightly, I don't like it anymore. Or it's changed in a different direction, now I'm ambivalent. So we have this liking, disliking, ambivalence gradation at the heart of the psyche that's happening moment to moment. In fact, in the way the Buddha describes it, it's happening like hundreds, if not thousands of times as we're just moving moment to moment, moment to moment. Even as all of us are sitting here, your body is asking itself, is my posture comfortable? Every time you move, disliking. Every time you shift, not liking. When you're not moving at all, okay, neutral. I'm feeling ambivalent to the way I'm sitting in the chair. So every moment, the body and the heart and the mind have an opportunity to get in touch with this hue. So that's the second leak in the chain. So contact happens. The mind immediately assigns liking, disliking, or neutral to the experience. Then here's where it gets interesting. The step after liking and disliking, or feelings, is craving. So it's not enough for the mind to have a sense of pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. It doesn't just stay there. If it did, we'd be set. It doesn't stay there. 
when we have positive feelings, right, when we have this positive hue arising, what it does is it leans the mind in a particular direction. Once the mind labels an experience pleasure, the next thing it does is say, how do I get more? This feels good. More, please. So it's not, it doesn't stop and just say, this is pleasant. It says, this is pleasant. Thank you. I would like a second helping. So the challenge with feelings is that it wants more of the feeling. And it wants this in two ways. It either wants more of the sensation, meaning it wants it to continue. So if I'm sitting comfortable in my chair, there's no reason why the heart would desire that feeling to ever end. I want to sit here for the next 30 minutes and give the Dharma talk without feeling like I need to move my back or shift in my chair. So once there's pleasantness, the mind is like, well, thanks. We're good. Just right there. We're good. Everything is fine just as it is. Or it desires an increase in intensity. So let's say uh, I'm going to give a lot of metaphors around heat and cold because the weather in Portland is now starting to get cold and I have my heaters on and I've been having this experience like all night in preparation for this Dharma talk. So you walk into a room, sense contact, you feel heat on, on your skin. Now, it might be neutral. You walk in, you notice it, you're ambivalent. Or you might have been feeling cold and you walk in the room and you notice the heat and you're like, oh, that's nice. Then you might think, oh, maybe I should turn the heat up a little bit. It's not enough just to be liking. It's like, hmm, let's increase the intensity of that pleasure. So this is what the, the mind does. Sense contact, feeling, and then more. Craving. It leans out in a particular direction. Now, of course, our companion to craving is aversion, which is the pushing away factor. So after the feeling, the mind either wants more or it wants to, to push away the experience. So that's a third link in a chain. And remember, this is happening like over and over and over again before we can even see that it's occurring in consciousness. Now, negative feelings are the same way. You'd grab something and it's cold, it's hot, it's prickly, and there's the first sense that is unpleasant. And then the second says, sense is, please stop. You push away the experience because you want the experience to end. And if you're really wrapped up in aversion, you want to prevent that experience from happening in the future. So the mind gets wrapped up in the sensations and says, disliking, and how can I prevent that disliking from happening again? Because disliking is unpleasant. So again, I'll give you an example. I was uh, sitting in my room earlier and the heat went on and I heard it go on, that sense contact, and there was a sense of pleasure. It was like, oh, the heat's on. Because for me, when I hear the heater click on, it's sort of that hearth sense. It's like comfort. I think of hot chocolate. I think of sitting with a blanket and my cat and drinking tea and reading. So the heater went on. My mind immediately had a sense of, oh, the heat turned on. That's nice. But that wasn't enough. I thought to myself, oh, but is it turned up high enough that it will keep going? Or is it just going to keep clicking on and off? Right? So there was this grasping of, of wanting it to not only stay, but to stay at a particular temperature. And I noticed the discomfort in anticipation of it turning off again. <laughs> so that's why the mind gets distressed because there's the contact. Ooh, that's nice. 
Can you please keep that niceness going? Thank you very much. That is how the heart reacts to the pleasantness. Now, when the heater did turn off, there was an aversive response, like, oh, it turned off. And then I thought, I could get up and turn it higher, but then there was the sense of, but I don't want to get up because that's inconvenient <laughs> and that's aversion. So I can see in a matter of a three minute interval, liking, disliking, liking, disliking, pushing away, grasping, all in a matter of minutes of just listening to the heater turn on and off. Neutrality is the same way, but it has a unique quality to it. When we experience something at any level of our sense contact and we experience it as neutral, two things tend to happen. One, we're just ambivalent. We don't really notice it. It's like, it just is what it is. And technically, when we experience neutrality in the Dharma, neutrality really means not triggering craving, not triggering aversion. That's what neutrality really means in Buddhist psychology, right? It's not nothingness, right? It's a sense that there is no agitation in one direction or another. Or this can happen, which we all know and have this experience inside of our meditations, which is neutrality can be experienced as boredom. We can have this experience of this is boring because being aware of breath is super boring. And so we can really experience a sense of dullness, a sense of, it's, it's less than ambivalence. It's a little negative. It moves from boredom to aversion. It really moves from neutral to negative. This is because the mind really dislikes being unstimulated. So either we're going to experience neutrality as a nice place to be where it's just kind of no desire, no aversion. It's just like, okay, things are going, or we're going to notice that nothing's happening and we're going to have an experience of boredom and then we're going to want to change it. So we're going to grasp at something else. We're either going to push the boredom away or grasp for some kind of stimulation. So this is happening again really rapidly, really rapidly. So again, it moves from contact at the sense doors. A feeling, Vedana, arises. Once the feeling arises, we then lean into a particular direction. This is called craving, right? We might know it as desire and the Pali word for it is thirst. We have a thirst that we lean into the experience or we push away an experience because we thirst for its opposite. So feelings arise and then desire arises to want more or to want less of the feeling. Now again, if desire could kind of peak right there and we can kind of chill in desire land, that would be great. But that's not what happens. After desire happens, we grab onto the experience and we try to protect it. And that's called clinging or attachment, as we know in Buddhist psychology. So this whole thing happens in a matter of seconds. Feeling arises, craving arises, and then grasping arises. And that cycle is the heart of suffering from the Buddhist point of view. That really quick response from feeling to craving or feeling to craving to grasping is how the Buddha defines the psychological sense of dukkha, of suffering. I'll give you another, another example that I experienced. 
I was uh, I was reading, I was doing some Dharma study, and I was sitting on my couch, and the rain started up. And I really love the sound of rain. And I noticed the rain started, sense contact. And there was immediately a sense of like, oh, that's nice, I like the rain. So pleasure, feeling tone was pretty evident. It was pleasure. And then I went to craving. The craving was, I wish it was raining harder. So it wasn't enough that it was like a nice rain. Cause I, <laughs> so full disclosure, here's my preferences and my pet peeves around rain. <laughs> so I moved to Portland and now long, long time ago, decades ago, I moved to Portland cause I like the rain, but I don't just like the rain. I really like when it rains hard, like torrential, build an arc in your front yard rain. Like you really, like it's really coming down. So I really like that loud rain that's like whipping around. So as soon as I heard the rain, the pleasantness of the rain was not enough for the heart. My craving was more. And I not only wanted more, like I wanted it to last over like whatever, as long as it would, I wanted it to increase. I wanted the pleasurable sense to increase, to be torrential, at least in that moment. So in that one second, I went from contact to feeling, right? To craving, to really wanting it. And then what happened, I saw it go further. It did, it started raining harder. And I was so, I was like, yes, it's like, it's a rainstorm. And then I really grasped it. I didn't want it to end. I really wanted, oh, like maybe this will last like 20 minutes. Now I'm in dukkha, right? Because as soon as it ends, I'm gonna feel a sense of disappointment. And then what happened? The rain started decreasing and I immediately noticed myself saying, oh damn, I really wish it would have lasted a little longer. <laughs> So this is happening in such, I mean, it was like a four minute experience, but I went from sense contact to feeling, to craving, to coveting without even thinking about it. And I could see the whole thing, you know, as a meditator, I could see this whole thing happening. I totally laughed. I was like, oh, I got to tell people at Wednesday wake up about this. This is why feelings are so important. And this chain of causality is so important because it is dictating how we attach ourselves to experiences. If you go from contact to feeling, to craving, to clinging, that cycle, what you're seeing there is a almost like a litmus test or a thermometer of evaluating how invested you are in the experience. How clingy are you gonna be to the pleasure how averse are you gonna to be to the experience, whether it's one side or the other? And if you look at it happening, you'll see where the heart and mind are oriented and what's causing even the subtlest dukkha as you move through. Another really important aspect of this when it comes to dukkha is that all of you are familiar with the second arrow parable essentially or the arrow parable and the arrow parable talks about the difference between pain and dukkha pain and suffering and in this sutta the buddha really highlights the fact that it's the feeling tone that is the gateway to freedom that being able to hold the feeling tone in awareness is what allows us to instigate a cycle of freedom versus our falling back into samsara or into dukkha. And I wanted to read you the actual sutta. 
It's not long. It's a couple little paragraphs. So I wanted to read this to you. This will kind of pull this together. Okay. So just listen to this for a second. Be awake and aware of body breathing. Just be back with body. It's a couple paragraphs, not long. But see how this lands for you. And this is part of the sutta. It's a very long sutta, by the way. So it goes something like this. Monks. An uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, feelings of neither pleasure nor pain. A well-instructed disciple of the Noble Ones also feels feelings of pleasure, feelings of pain, and feelings of neither pleasure nor pain. So what difference, what distinction, what distinguishing factor is there between the well-instructed disciple of the Noble Ones and the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person? The Buddha responds, When touched with a feeling of pain, the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person sorrows, grieves, and laments, beats their breast, becomes distraught. As a result, they feel two pains, physical and mental, just as if they were to shoot a person with an arrow and right afterward were to shoot them with another one so that they would feel the pains of two arrows. In the same way, when touched with a feeling of pain, the uninstructed, run-of-the-mill person sorrows, grieves, and laments, beats their breast, becomes distraught. So they feel two pains, physical and mental. That's part of our sutta, the arrow. Classic little sutta. I find it so interesting how specific the Buddha is in describing what he calls suffering, what he calls dukkha. There is the physical pain of sense contact. You touch something, ouch, right? There's going to be a physical pain. But what we do after that feeling tone says unpleasant, that's where we can intervene. So what the Buddha is really suggesting is that we use feelings, Vedana, as one of our Satipatthanas because it's smack dab right in the middle of that causal chain right before craving arises. You can't change the feeling tone because it's happening so quickly. You reach out, unpleasant, but how you react to that pain, that discontent, that we can have control over. That's the part that we're able to intervene. We break the cycle right there at that point. Part of the reason that it's such an important practice, I think, to have the Saipatana of feelings is also because how quickly the mind operates. Like as I was explaining in my examples, before and you know it, you go from sense contact to grasping and you're reinforcing the pleasure before you even think about what you're doing. It's important to know that this is biological. It's biologically adaptive that human beings can make quick decisions when things distress us. It's really important that we can make quick decisions liking, disliking, right? So if you think about it, I always like to think of this as an example. So you're walking through the woods and you're minding your own business and you see a lion. 
right? You see a lion, sense contact. Image of lion hits the eyes, right? Now, sensation arises. Pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Now, it wouldn't behoove us to see the contact, the see the sensation, and then sit down on a rock and contemplate, how do I feel about the lion? Is it pleasant? Is it unpleasant? Is it neutral? And sit there and do a whole meditation. What's going to happen is your sense doors are going to pick up the lion. Unpleasant is going to be arising immediately. And then you grasp and you run. You crave not to be dinner and you leave. That is going to be what the response is. So it's naturally biologically adaptive for us not to be able to pay attention to the Vedana because it goes by so quickly. It's designed to get us moving without us having to think about it. So in meditation, we're literally using awareness to be aware of an intimate part of the human experience that we're not usually seeing in real time. And feelings don't want to be seen. They're so rapid. They're, they're not sitting there for you to be able to see. Most of the time we don't see it until we're already knee deep in grasping, until we're already knee deep in craving. And that's just the biological response. So that's why it's so important to practice with Vedana and feelings because they're very hard to see. They're moving very quickly and it takes lots of practice to be able to catch it in motion. In our practice, when we're practicing meditation, the Buddha reminds us that there are three qualities for every moment of meditative experience, always. Ardency, alertness, and mindfulness. These are the components that no matter what you're meditating on or what meditation practice you're doing, there is the instruction to be ardent, alert, and mindful on all of your Satipatthanas. Ardency is the desire to really get something out of the practice, to do it well. That when you sit down, you're ardent. You're like, okay, I'm meditating now. Let me get something out of this. Alertness is obvious. Alertness is clarity of mind. Okay, I'm really going to be alert here. And mindful is the commitment to find the object and to hold it in awareness. So every moment we're committed to be mindful, we're trying to be really alert, and we want to have this sense, I'm going to do this well. I'm going to have an insight in this moment. So ardency, alertness, and mindfulness. This is important because what it reminds us that our intention to be mindful our intention to be ardent and alert creates the mind, or I should say habituates the mind into being able to do that well. So your intention to look for sensations teaches the mind to look for the sensation and to find it. So the ardency, the desire to really seek out sensations, whether whatever Satipatthana you're using, increases the mind's ability to actually see the sensation. And so the, the uh, example I like to, like to use is this. So you're hiking with a friend and you're on the trail and your friend points out that they see Bigfoot. Up in front of you, there's Bigfoot and Bigfoot is hiding in the bushes and your friend points out and you're like, oh, wow, okay, where? I wanna see. And so your friend starts to point to this like big, forested area and is trying to point out to you where they see Bigfoot. And you're like, what are you talking about? Like, and so your friends like the third tree, like right there, gravel, rock, right there, Bigfoot's right there. And so you're leaning in and you're really trying to see because you don't want to lose it because it's Bigfoot. So you really have a vested interest. That's ardency. 
Ardency is like, you do not want to miss an, art, uh, an opportunity to see what you're intending to see. You want to be successful, right? That's ardency. Now, the mindfulness is looking for the object. Like, okay, can I, can I discern Bigfoot in as an object of awareness? And alertness is that leaning in, that real determined clarity of mind that's trying to distinguish Bigfoot from the tree. So with feelings, with this Satipatthana, it's important to remember that it's gonna be like that. You're going to lean in and try to catch craving and you're gonna try and catch the hue of pleasure as it arises and it will be nearly impossible to see because you're looking at it in a backdrop of a forest, right? And it's hiding and it doesn't want to be seen because it's not used to, that's not its design. It's not designed for you to catch it in motion. It's just designed to flash by your consciousness without you being able to see it, right? So. Think of it in those terms, that when you begin to practice with this Satipatthana, it's going to be very challenging. It's very challenging to see, but if you are really determined and you lean in and you practice looking, you will see, oh, I just caught it, pleasure. That's, I'm liking this moment. Oh, I'm disliking this moment. You'll be able to catch it. And the more you catch it, the deeper your practice and the richer your practice ultimately becomes. One other thing I'll say. When we're practicing with feelings as an object, as an object, you're going to be practicing on the cushion, of course, and you're going to be practicing off the cushion. And it's a little bit different on the cushion than it is off the cushion. So when you're practicing moment to moment in your meditation, there's basically two ways, two primary ways that you can do the practice. One, is to do your body breathing and bring awareness to the sensations of the body, right? Could be your arms, your legs, your head. Do your basic body scan or your full body awareness practice. And then what you want to do is then intend to look for pleasant, neutral, and painful sensations. So you switch your practice with intentionality and you begin to bring awareness to different parts of your body and you look for sensations. Again, Bigfoot, you're not gonna see it right away. It's gonna be hidden, it's gonna to try to be hidden, but you just keep looking. Now, at the level of sensations, you wanna start by actually feeling sensations that are somewhat pleasurable. This is gonna be tingling, vibrating, pulsating, uh, energy movement like through the arms or the tingling on the face, or maybe the heat on the face or the temperature on the body in some way. You actually want to look for sensations that you might, when held in awareness, say, yeah, it's kind of pleasant. Like my, my hand's tingling. I'll say that's pleasant. And then you want to label it. You want to use noting practice to say to yourself, pleasant. Holding that place marker in awareness. And you can do a whole body scan, moving awareness throughout the body, bring awareness to hands, Notice the sensation and you just say, no, neutral. I'm not, I'm not feeling anything there that's discomforting. It's not typically pleasurable, so I'm just going to label it neutral. When you find a spot that's contracted or dense, um, when there's actual pain, of course, then you label that. You just say, unpleasant. So what you do is you go through the body seeking out feeling tones. Now, in the beginning, it's going to feel really ridiculous. <laughs> 
<laughs> because you're gonna go through and say like it's all neutral it's like yeah well there's tingling it's not really pleasurable but you want to establish a litmus lit test for yourself it's a thermometer for yourself of this gradation of hue and the more you practice the deeper and the more rich these experiences become and you'll be able to catch them quicker and quicker and it's it's a delightful experience to be able to begin to see liking or begin to see disliking but on the cushion it's going to be the physical sensations of embodied being you're not looking for emotions you're actually looking for just the tone you're looking for the tone of body sensations now when you leave the cushion it's going to be more like what I talked about earlier you're gonna try and catch yourself liking something that moment where you take a first sip of tea and you have that sense of like, oh, that's nice. You label it, ah, oh, pleasure, that's pleasure. The minute something feels discontented, you label it, ah, oh, displeasure. You look for the neutral. The minute you feel boredom, bring awareness to it, label it, ah, oh, that's neutral, that's ambivalent. I don't like, you know, then of course it's gonna turn to negative. So on the cushion, it's the physical sensations. Off the cushion, it's still physical sensations, but you're gonna be more apt to identify them as liking, disliking, and ambivalent. You're more gonna experience it because you're leaning into the emotion already when you're off the cushion. So like I said, I heard the sound of the heater turn on. My mind probably popped up a memory of childhood or some experience I have, and there was liking, and, and I was able to identify it. Okay. That feels good. A really good place to do this is when you're feeling temperature or you're eating, right? Or you're doing something very pleasurable because with each bite, you can notice, oh, that bite tastes good. You can notice the pleasure tone as the food hits your tongue, right? The smell, the taste, the heat. So when you have experiences that you're engaging in that are already pleasurable, you can break them down and notice as you're eating that the eating experience isn't just pleasurable, it's moments of pleasure, right? Every bite has a different sense. Now, some bites of food might be neutral. You know, you get close to the end of a meal and you're like, okay, yeah, I've had five bites of that and now it's just boring. But those first five or six bites of something, use this Saudi Patana and you'll start to see, and especially the first, Ruth Dennison would always when we were with Ruth out at Domadena, she wouldn't even let us start eating. We had to sit and stare at it and smell it and anticipate the pleasure. And then we had to slowly move the food to our mouth and notice right as we touched the sensations when pleasure arose. She made us like, it took us forever to eat with her. It was so, it was so annoying. <laughs> eating took forever. <laughs> and it always took forever for us to start any kind of meal because she would sit us in front of the food and make us wait and look at it and anticipate the feeling tone so we could really get prepared to have the experience. So off the cushion, use your pleasant experiences that you already know are pleasurable to watch for the first moment that the pleasure arises. If you're about to sit down and read a book, right? Sit down with the book, open it up and start reading being aware of body. At which point is it really become enjoyable? When you notice, ah, oh, I really like reading, right? You're watching a movie, be aware of your body. How many minutes in before there's that sense of, ooh, good movie, pleasure, 
All right, cool. I'm going to stick with it. Craving. I'd like to see the movie to the end and not have Netflix just like turn off, right? You have a sense of the pleasurable experience. Now, pain is similar. If you know something's going to be uncomfortable, right? Let's say you have, this is kind of random, but let's say you have a pain in your knee and you know that getting up from the chair is going to have the sting, right? Of the pain in the knee. Take a minute to be mindful. And as you stand up, watch the mind label the sensation unpleasant. Watch it happen in real time. So off the cushion, anticipate when you know something's going to be discontented and when you know it's going to be pleasurable and just turn it into a meditation. And what happens over time is your mind starts to spontaneously catch itself in the act. And you'll start having these wonderful moments. I was taking a shower the other day and... Uh, because I've been doing this a while, so I'd have, I have a good amount of these ex spontaneous experiences with this Sadi Patana. So I was taking a shower, got in the shower, and I usually use mantras in my morning, like while I'm brushing my teeth and showering and eating. So I usually use kind of a mantra in the morning. And so I started using my mantra and I was showering and I caught the moment where my body relaxed into the heat of the water. I was like, oh, it feels good. I caught, the, I was like, oh, pleasure. There it is. So I caught the pleasure. And then I forgot about it, continued showering. And then there was a moment where I caught myself saying, oh, it's too hot in here. It's so like steamy in here. And so all of a sudden preferences change and it was just unpleasant. I could see unpleasantness arising and I noted it. It's like, oh, there it is again, unpleasantness. So in times like that, you can really use the Satipatthana to note the preferences of the mind and watch how quickly it likes and dislikes every, it's so preferential, constantly preferencing itself all over the place. So that's the difference between, between those. One other thing I'll mention uh, as we bring this to close is that the Buddha makes a distinction between what he calls worldly pleasures or worldly feelings, mind you, worldly feelings and unworldly feelings. This is something that you'll hear quite a bit in the Dharma and when we start talking about jhana more this upcoming year, You'll, we'll go into this in huge depth. But basically, the Buddha reminds us that there is pleasure that arises from sense contact. There is negative experiences that arise from sense contact. And there are positive and negative feelings associated with meditative practice, which the Buddha defines as being something different. So when you're in meditation and your mind gets really present, and you get into this sense of stress release and you're feeling really good and there's a sense of pleasure, the Buddha calls that an unworldly feeling. It's a feeling that's caused by meditation directly and because it's being caused by meditation, it's considered more skillful because it tends to lead towards contentment rather than a grasping for more of the experience. So there is pleasure in your meditation that will be sense door oriented. And then there's other unworldly pleasure that's considered a byproduct of meditation. And you will be able to discern the difference over time. It will be clear that, oh, I'm really feeling this sense of pleasure. Oh, that's from the, the fact my mind is concentrated and you'll be able to see that it's an unworldly pleasure. I just mentioned that because it's a common distinction. You'll read about it. You're, you'll see it all over the Dharma that there's these two uh, worldly and unworldly. Now, an unworld, let's see, an unworldly negative 
or unpleasant sensation, the Buddha usually describes as the desire to be liberated. The pain that comes from wanting to be enlightened and knowing you're not there yet and being frustrated by your practice. So all of us, <laughs> I'm going to say most of my time, at least some time of every day of my practice, at least every week, there is a moment of unworldly aversion or unworldly unpleasantness, which is why is this taking so long? This stupid practice doesn't work. And why am I doing this? So those moments that you have where you feel a drive to be free and you have this sense of like, oh, this is so hard. The Buddha says that's a different thing because you're, you're on your way to skillful activities. That's an unworldly displeasure. And he's like, that's great. Don't worry about it. You want to feel like you're not there yet because that motivates you to practice. So we'll talk about that more as we go on because that's what we deal with in the jhanas. We deal with unworldly pleasures and unworldly displeasures, which are different than our standard ones. So feelings. So again, feelings are important. They are one of the four Satipatthanas. They are a primary meditative object. So you do want to figure out how to use this in your meditation. This is something that you want to be practicing regularly because it's hard to see. It does take time, but once you get it, it will be it's an amazing experience. And remember that it's part of dependent co-arising. It is the link in the chain that the Buddha says can be the quickest way to decrease suffering. If you find yourself suffering, find the unpleasantness and the pleasantness at the level of sensations. And the Buddha says immediately, the mind will let go. The mind will let go of the grasping if you can find the little sensations of liking and disliking. So the Buddha finds that to be like the trap door, the escape hatch in the chain. He talks about other parts of the chain, but this is the one that has to do with the second arrow. This is the one that we really want to set our sights on because it's the quickest. It's the quickest way to break the cycle of suffering in the present moment. Vedana, feelings. Second Satipatthana. Let's end on time tonight. Again, I really wanted to thank you all for coming. Thanks for joining me in the sit, in the Dharma talk. Thanks for your kind attention, as always. I wanted to once again thank you all for helping to keep Wednesday Wake Up alive and well. For those of you who come, I know a lot of you now are offering some small monthly support, which has been amazing. It's keeping us afloat here uh, without any reserve. It's, it's perfect. It's working great. For those of you who just stop by now and again, if you're not offering a monthly contribution, I'm going to put the Donna Bowl up. You can always offer a few coins into the digital bowl when you take off. Let's, if you can, hang with me for two, three minutes while we remind ourselves of our higher aspiration, which is well-being for everyone, all beings. Let's fall back into full body awareness. And you might in this moment notice feeling. What is the feeling tone of this moment? As you bring awareness back to the body, there'll be a tone, a hue, and see if you can find it in awareness. Take a deep breath in, deep belly breathing in through the nose and out through the mouth and really relax into the exhale, back into the body. 
Deep breathing is a wonderful opportunity to notice pleasure. As you exhale, notice that feeling of ease. We might label it pleasant. Take another long, slow, deep breath, relaxing fully into body. And let's engage in the recollection that we call loving kindness while maintaining awareness of this breathing body. We recollect that we come here together in community, in Sangha, to offer our kind attention and our kind hearts, to support each other in practice, to care for and love each other on this path. And as our highest aspiration, we remind ourselves that beyond our own healing, beyond our own well-being and awakening, lies the desire for all beings to be free. Our spiritual compass is set to this goal. So with our bodies relaxed and at ease and our hearts awakened and open, let's wish well for everyone in this moment. Notice how it feels to do so. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings be free from harm. May all beings feel safe and secure loved and cared for. May the planet itself be free from harm. And may it as well be loved and cared for. And with this energy of loving kindness this aspiration of goodwill for all beings. We might simply conclude this evening by answering this question. If you could wish anything in this moment for all beings and know it would come to pass, what might that wish be right here and right now? Wish that for all beings and notice the feeling that arises as you do so. Much love to you all. Thank you so much for sharing your life with me in the Dharma. Much appreciated. Thanks for joining us here at Wednesday Wake Up. 
We honor the traditional Buddhist practice of offering the teachings without charge. So this podcast will always be ad-free and will never be behind a paywall. This podcast is sustained exclusively by the generosity of listeners. If you've received value from this podcast and have found your life or practice enriched by listening to it, you can support Gregory as a teacher by going to our website, www.wednesdaywakeup.com, and click on Donate at the menu on the top. While you're here at the website, join our mailing list and follow Gregory on Instagram at Gregory Maloof Dharma. Thank you again for listening. May all beings be happy.